Well, good morning, Victory Midtown. How y'all doing today? Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Listen, I want to take a little bit of a shift. A lot of times at this time, we'll come and we'll do announcements and we'll kind of go into some things, but I'm really just kind of feeling something strong in the house today that we've been praying about all week, that we've been praying about all morning. And so I don't want to just run past this moment where I feel like God is already moving around us. And so we're going to take just a second, and I'm going to ask you all to pray with me today because I have an assignment today, and I know it needs to be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so if you could, just kind of posture your heart right now in a way that you're open to hear what God wants to say, open to hear and receive what he wants to do. And we're just going to just follow him for a moment. the room. Can you lift your hands right now? Let's receive his presence. Receive his sovereignty. Receive his safety. Receive his peace. Oh, Christ the Lord. There- 
Take it up one more time, one more time, one more time. There's freedom in your presence. There's freedom in your presence. There's freedom in your presence. Christ the Lord. Worthy to be praised, Christ the Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are worthy of it all. And we thank you that you can move how you want to move. That we're not so stuck to what our idea of a form of service is. That we can't move aside and let you continue to speak. Father, I thank you today that as we go into this word, that this is not just a sermon to keep on notes But this is something that we want to live, Father. Father, what we need today is we need for you to speak to us. So, Father, I'm praying right now that as I decrease, I declare that you are increasing. That every word that comes out of my mouth, Father, that you will transform it and transport it to each individual in the way they need to hear it. Those in the room, those online, we thank you, God, that there is no distance before you can move. And so, God, I thank you right now that your word is true, that your word is powerful, and that there is transformation available in your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Come on, can you put your hands together right now and thank God? Come on, I didn't say for me. Put your hands together for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come on, if you came here to give God praise, I need you to just celebrate him right now. Come on, we didn't make it this far. Because you bleed breath this morning, that means you can give God a praise. Because you made it here without getting in an accident today, he is worthy of the praise. Hallelujah. 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 You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to try to preach this thing today, y'all. I have a question. And the question is, as you take inventory over your life, as you kind of think about what's going on, the things you make it through, the way you have to navigate through life, 
How many people in here would agree with me and just say life is a little bit much right now? There's a lot going on. And so that's why there are times where we have to come into God's presence and not go so fast into what we think needs to be done and let him breathe into how he wants to do it. And so as we're thinking about what's happening in the world, as there's financial fallout and chaos, as there's political fallout and chaos, as there's so many things, even this week I was just reminded of how when I turn on my phone and go on Instagram or go on Facebook, you literally see people and reports and eyewitness accounts of people getting robbed in broad daylight, people getting shot in broad daylight, people's cars getting broken in in broad daylight. And the reason I bring that up is not to paint a gloom and doom picture. What it is is for us to understand that we are living in some chaotic times right now. That if we don't take advantage of being able to see these things, what we'll do is we'll navigate in a way that we're ignorant to what's happening in the world. But what I'm glad about and one of the reasons why we are even in this series called Anchor is because we want to make sure that we equip the body to make sure that we have maturity and that we have stability even when there's instability all around us. And so whether it's fake fall and you don't know whether to put on shorts or a snow jacket or it's you really worrying about your protection day day by day, it's okay to say I'm a little worried. It's okay to be honest with God and say, I really don't know what's going on, but I know I need you. And so last week we started this series called Anchored, and Pastor Johnson, he talked about the fact that if we're going to make it in this world, we need to be anchored to Jesus, anchored to Jesus. And so what we're doing as we're going through this series, this is not just a series that just popped up, you know, because we thought it was a good thing to preach. We've prayed into this earlier this week, knowing that we need to make sure we understand that the solid rock of Jesus is the only one that's going to keep us. And so as we're talking about this anchor, what we know about an anchor and what we're talking about over the next several weeks is that an anchor is weighty. An anchor is trustworthy. An anchor is immovable, and when the waves and the winds are moving, we can drop anchor in Jesus, understanding that he is the one that we can depend on. And so as we're looking at this, I just want us to kind of have this picture in the back of our minds as we're navigating through this, because watch this. Jesus, he tried to prepare us thousands of years ago. He said that he gave a promise that you will go through trouble. But what I love about Jesus is that he never gives us the gloom and doom without giving us hope. And what I love even more about him is that he doesn't have to just talk about hope. He is hope. And because he says that, yes, you're going to go through things, he also gives a double-edged promise. And he says, but you can have peace as you actually lean into me. And so, again, our goal throughout this series is so that we develop a people, that we hone in with the people who are not just trying to get their little Sunday morning fix and then go out and do the same things they did before they came, but we're getting the people that are going to grow in maturity and stability. A people who are not just saying, I checked the church box, but I'm coming in to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Am I in the right room today? And so as we're looking at this today, we're going to take another step talking about what we need to anchor in, and we're going to talk today about being anchored in the Word of God, being anchored in the truth. 
And so I want to go to the scriptures. If you're following along today, you can follow along by version. Those who are new, uh, they may be able to put that on the screen in a minute, but you can go to the version Bible app, go to events, go to more, and go ahead and click in and follow along with us. But I want to go to the scriptures in James chapter 1. James chapter 1 says this in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. I'm going to pause for the cause just for a second. You notice it did not say if. It says whenever, meaning when you face trials. Can I give you a news flash? We, I, you, we are not the first people to go through trials in life. See, James, even right here in this scripture, he was actually writing to Christians who were being persecuted for following Jesus. Christians who were being killed for their faith in Jesus. And so as we look at this, he says that God wants us to take joy when we go through trials. Why would God want us to take joy when we go through trials? Because verse 3 says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Somebody say perseverance. When he says this, what he's actually saying is that when the trials of life try to test you, they're actually working for you. When the trials of life come, they're actually working for you. They're not actually there and designed to kill you. They're actually designed to work for you. And so I have a question for you. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions today. How many of you would say that when you look back over your life and you think things over, that you can think about the things that you've been through, and now that you've been through those things, now on this side that you're a little stronger, that you're a little wiser, that you have a little bit more perseverance, that you have a little bit more wisdom. The decisions you may have made before you went through that thing, now you will make different decisions because your trials did what they worked for you. And so as we're looking at this, there's a major key that I want to give us that your trials are created to make you stronger, but this key is something that often we opt out of. In verse 4, it says this. It says, let perseverance finish its work. I need to pause one more time because there's a lot of us that miss this. There's a lot of us when we talk about testing that we quit before the test is over. Can I make this practical and even natural? There's a lot of us that say, hey, I want to get healthy. I want to lose weight. And then after three days of working out, you don't see your your waistline coming down. You're like, I'm quitting. It didn't take you three days to get up that size. So it's not going to happen overnight. Amen. And what we do is that we quit too early, not understanding, watch this, that your trials are actually your trainer. Your trials are actually your trainer, and your trainer has an assignment. What's the assignment that your trainer has, Mo? Your trainer has an assignment to actually push you through failure. If you know anything about fitness, when a trainer is with you, they're not sitting there just trying to see what you think you can do. We all can lift a little bit more when we have a spotter. We all can do a little bit more when we have an encourager. We all can do a little bit more when somebody's standing there saying, you can do it. You can keep pushing. Don't quit. Keep going. And so your trainer is actually trying to develop you not to make you quit, but to show you what's actually on the inside of you. And so if your trial is a trainer, your trials are actually designed to build some endurance on the inside of you. 
And so as we're navigating through this, when we understand that our trainer has an assignment, that our trials are our trainer, we need to go back to see what James says. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is what? Double-minded and unstable in all they do. And so what James is saying right here is that your trials and the storms, they're actually created to make you stronger. And in verse 5, he says, if you lack wisdom, what do they say? Call God. Call God. Because a lot of times what we do is that we separate this verse from the topic of trials. But what we need to understand today is that they're interconnected. That when you have trials and you want to get wisdom, they actually work for your good. And so we have to ask God, and he'll give us wisdom. And so I want to say this because sometimes when we see people standing on a platform, we see somebody preaching, we think they're talking from a place that they just arrived. Or we think that they're talking from a theoretical place, something they read in a book. Let me let you know, I've weathered my share of trials. I've been through some things, and just to name a few, just so I can let you know that I'm actually preaching this from something that I know, is that I remember even as a child, I had to navigate with my family through some family turmoil that by God's grace has been redeemed today, and we're able to walk together, and we're able to see God's blessing in the land of the living. I remember when I look back of my testimony that in my 20s, I went through a devastating divorce that I did not want. I fought for the marriage. I tried for it, but it still happened. In my 30s, I remember being fired, being pushed out of a place where I thought that I would spend the rest of my career, that I gave my blood, my sweat, my tears, and then they said, your assignment has changed, and it's not here. And even in the last month, Navigating and hearing the news that two of my cousins passed away unexpectedly within a matter of 10 days. And so I'm telling you something that I know. I'm telling you something that I have to process as we are receiving this word from God and so that we can walk in it. But one of the things that I have learned and I have seen through navigating through these trials is that God's word is true. That when the Bible says in Romans 8 that all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and that love him, we know that all things are working for the good. And sometimes it doesn't feel good. It doesn't look like there's anything good out of it, but we can still see that there's good. Some of you are even guessing right now, how can you say that somebody passing away can work for your good? You know why? Because what it does, it jolts me into reality. It jolts me into a purposeful relationship with the people that I'm around. It makes me see that I can't take for granted that when I leave the house, I will see that person again at the end. It makes me know that I can't look past people and think they're just another number, but I have to know that, God, you've given me a gift to be in this person's presence right now, and I need to take hold of this gift because I may not get this blessing again. I know how to let the trials work for me because I don't let it pass me. And so as we're looking at this and and we're working on this, what we're doing is that we have to shift our perspective. Somebody say shift Shift. your perspective. What these things have taught me is that I now go to God with a different posture. 
And my questions, and they're going to put this on the screen, my questions and my perspective have shifted from when things happen to me where I ask the question, God, why is this happening to me, to God, what are you trying to teach me? I shift from sulking and complaining and wondering why I have to go through it. And I'm saying, surely, God, now you must think I'm able to handle what I'm going through. And so what we have to do as a people, if we're going to make it in this chaotic world, if we're going to make it and make sure that we are sinking into the anchor of Jesus Christ, we have to make sure that we are those who have a different perspective. And so here's the thing. When you go through these things, what you actually end up finding is there's joy hidden in the midst of trials. But the only way that you'll see that joy is if you get God's perspective on the matter. And so I need you to write this down. It's in your notes. The reason why I know this is because when I go through stuff, I can get joy in it if I get God's perspective on it. I'm going to say it one more time. I can get joy in it if I can get God's perspective on it. But the key is that we have to ask for God's wisdom. Somebody say God's wisdom. I didn't say go to your mom and them. I didn't say ask your friend. I didn't say go on social media and find out what they're saying about wisdom in your trials. I said we have to get God's wisdom. But to do this, we have to understand that God's wisdom is God's word. And in God's word, we find God's truth. Can I say that one more time? God's wisdom is God's word. And in God's word, we find God's truth. And so let me take any guessing out of what I'm talking about, let me be overtly clear in this moment, I am talking about the Bible. I'm talking about the Bible. I have to say that in our modern contemporary church today because we've mixed so many things, we've done so many things, and sometimes what we're doing is we're looking for a source outside of what God said to answer something that only God can answer. And so as we get this, here's the thing. The reason why we have to talk about this is because so many of us We take God's word when it's beneficial for us. We take God's word when we hear all the blessings and the things that, you know, he wants to do for us and how he wants to give us retribution and how he wants to bring us out of bad situations and bring us into good situations. But what about those things we still like to do? What about those things that we still struggle in our flesh to get over, but we read it in the word, then we kind of swerve it. And we're like, I don't know about that part. And so as we're grabbing this, when we do this, we're like James as he talks about you're being tossed to and fro. You're double-minded because you're not single-minded on the fact that God's word is his truth. And so here's what I want to say. I want you actually to repeat this after me. Say, I must be anchored in God's truth. Say it one more time. Say, I must be anchored in God's truth. I'm saying that and I want you to say it because you will be tempted even today to hear from someone who is popular in culture. You will be tempted to hear from what somebody else says about current events and start to listen to them instead of being anchored in God's truth. And the challenge that we have is that there's a lot of things that sound like truth, but a majority of people, especially Christians, don't even notice that it's not truth. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Can we play a little game for a moment? Can we play a little game for a moment? I know y'all so serious. Y'all looking at me like, man, this is a lot. Put these things on the screen. They got it on the screen for me. We're going to play a game. Which one of these sayings is not scripture? I need y'all to participate with me. Come on, yell out a little bit. Give me your, your choices. Tell me which one. All right, I hear A over here. 
B, I hear C. Some of y'all singing Michael Jackson out there. All right, all right, all right, all right. It's open book test, open book test. None of them are scripture. None of them are scripture. I got some good students in the class right here. But, but let, me, let me walk through this for a moment. Let me bring this home just for a moment. How many of you have heard cleanliness is next to godliness? Let me, let me burst your bubble. That was mama now. That was your mama trying to make sure you cleaned your room. That was them trying to make sure that you felt a threat that was bigger than what they can do to make sure you did your chores. What about B? Money is the root of all evil. Come on, I got a good class in here. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. C says, to thine own self be true. I heard somebody over there, that's Shakespeare. Come on, y'all good. Y'all are good. D, here we go, here we go. This is one for all times, especially if your skin looks like mine. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Now, it's close because the Bible does say, although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. So don't get it twisted. Don't test it too much. But here we go. Listen to this. What happens when the things you are hearing sound so close to truth that you don't even know it subtly moved away from the truth? How many of us have heard even things like this that we've passed down from generation to generation that we've shared with other people thinking we're spiritual, but we're actually repeating something someone else said? And so the challenge is there's a lot of Christians, Christ followers, who are ascribing to some of these things, not knowing that it is actually a drift from the truth. This is so important because when life events happen, when financial collapses happen, when people are arguing about things like abortion and transgenderism, you have to be able to know what does the Bible actually say about those things. And so it's so important for us to understand that God's truth in his word gives us wisdom as an anchor for our soul. But the challenge is that, we, that I'm bringing to light today is that America actually has a little bit of a weird relationship with the word of God. Can I tell you what I'm talking about? Let me show you something today. See, what we need to know as some studies have been done, Barner Research and all these other things have been brought together to give us some information. The, the state of the place of America when it comes to the Bible, it's a little fickle. Because what we see is that these stats have said that 80% of U.S. adults believe in God, but 56% believe in God as described as the Bible. So there is a lot of people that say, I believe in God, but there's also a lot of people that are like, uh... I'm going to kind of remix this. When it comes to eternity, 66% of Christians believe that all paths lead to heaven. Saying, I don't know if Jesus is the only way. When we look at this, when we talk about the divinity of God, 43% of Christians believe that Jesus was a good teacher, but that he wasn't God. So they'll say, yes, I believe he was a great teacher, but I don't know if he was really God. When it comes to biblical literacy, we see that 54% of U.S. adults believe that the Bible contains everything they need for a meaningful life. But watch this. Yet 75% of them don't even read the Bible. 
And so what happens is we're trying to figure stuff out and God has already given us the answer, but we're not reading it. When it comes to the truth, 26% of Christians believe the Bible is helpful, but that it is not literally true. When it comes to our biblical worldview, 6% of Americans possess a biblical worldview. What is a biblical worldview? It's how you process the things that are going on in the world, the challenges that happen based on what the word of God says, period. And so what we see is only 6% are actually even disciples. And then lastly, when it comes to family, this is a big one. 2% of American parents with children under 13 have a biblical worldview. What that simply means, let me just do the math for you. 98 out of 100 parents cannot even give their children a biblical worldview because you cannot give what you don't have. And so that's why sometimes you see or it feels and you even think about the chaos that's going on around us. You see the world feeling like it's going to hell in a handbasket because we're trying to do so many things without the source. And so what this is telling us is that now what we've ascribed to is this mixed bag of theology, this mixed bag of beliefs. What we do is we combine a little bit of Christianity with a little bit of mysticism, with a little bit of moralistic therapeutic deism, with a little bit of postmodernism, with a little bit of secular humanism. And what we do is we throw it all in the pot and we got this Frankenstein theology that you're picking and choosing and putting things where it doesn't match because it feels good to you in that moment or you've ascribed to that instead of saying God's word is true. That's called syncretism. That now you're saying, whatever I feel in sync with in the moment, I'm going to go with. And so I came here on assignment today because it would be an indictment to us to come in here and raise the name of Jesus and to let people go to hell after leaving here not knowing that there's a truth that we need to ascribe to. See, the reason why I'm coming like this today is because I have an assignment because I need to be responsible. As God has given me a call to be a shepherd, I want to sleep at night, y'all. I want to sleep at night knowing that I presented the truth. I want to sleep at night knowing that when I pray, when Kendra and I pray for you, and we believe that this is not just a place to be popular or a place to sprinkle a little spirituality on our our individualistic self-help gospel, that we're able to really grab what God has for us and run on and see what God wants to do. And so as we're in here today, we are being encountered with truth. Somebody say truth. And so we have to make sure that we understand that we cannot abandon God's truth. We cannot blend Christianity anymore with other things. Let me say it like this. I want to show you even a little bit more. I got some stuff for y'all today. Let me show you one more thing. When it comes to culture and society, there are generally like four major groups of people that you can kind of ascribe to. What we see here is we have the four. We have non-Christians who would be an atheist or a nun or someone who just says, you know, I don't really believe in God. Then you have cultural Christians. A cultural Christian is someone that would say, if I had to choose out of a multiple choice, I would choose and say I'm a Christian. We have congregational Christians that say, well, I come to church, so I must be a Christian. And then we have convictional Christians who say, I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that the word of God is true, period. And so what we see is that in the past, back in the day, if you were an atheist, if you didn't believe in God, you were actually one of the outliers. It was actually more where you would kind of keep that to yourself a little bit. 
You would kind of rally around a certain group of people, but majority of the world was operating in one of these other three. This was mainstream culture operating in these three. But what we've seen is that in the present, it has been a shift. It's been a drift. Say a drift. There's been a drift to now non-Christians, cultural Christians, congregational Christians are now more alike than they are different. To this cultural divide, what it has done, it has put convictional Christians on an island. That now you look like a heretic or you look like you're just somewhere out there or something's wrong with you. And what we've done and what we've seen and sometimes what we've allowed is that now we see people saying, well, love is love. You know, if you don't believe that, if you don't ascribe to toleration and everything, now you're a bigot. Now something's wrong with you. You don't love people. And let me make this very clear. The reason I'm talking about this is not because we're just calling and, and, and condemning people down. What we're saying is we need to understand, as my dad used to say, that a crooked stick does not know it's crooked until a straight stick shows up. And what many of us have done, we know what the straight standard of the word is, but what we do is we start getting a little crooked. Because we feel this way, or culture says this way, or our friends are like this, or this is happening over here. And I'm here on assignment to raise a standard that we will be a people who operate in the straightness of the word of God. Do I have anybody that's wanting to get that with me? So here we go. If we're not careful, what this has done is has created progressive Christianity. Where we kind of say, well, you know, that doesn't mean that today. You know, God is kind of changed a little bit. You know, what we see is we see a people who actually feel like it's their job to protect Christianity from Christ. Did y'all hear what I just said? You have people that feel like it's their job to protect Christianity from Christ, saying things like, oh, my Jesus would never say that. Or that's not my Jesus. See, that's the problem. As soon as you think you own Jesus, you're already out of place. Because the Bible does not say we own Jesus. The Bible says that we were bought with a price, and it was with his life and with his blood. And we are crucified with Christ, not us who live, but the Son of God who lives in and through and for us. And so what we have done as a real reality is that we've tried to make Christianity non-offensive. And we've tried so hard not to make Christianity non-offensive that we've actually submitted to the world's view. And so what I want us to know is that we cannot be so concerned to not offend people that we actually go against what God says. Because if we remember, Jesus was crucified because he actually offended people's moralistic norms. He offended the things that they were going to just because the world said it, but he was showing up as a standard, bringing light on what was right and what was wrong. Here it is. The Apostle Paul gave Timothy a charge that is still echoing for us today, right here at 1429 Fairmont Avenue. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says this, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. What does it say? Preach the word. Say it with me. Say, preach the word. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Let me just pause for a second. Because I know even as I was standing down there and worship was going on, the Lord was just dealing with me because 
what, the, what God said to me in that moment was that there are some people in this room that the devil is after. There are some people in this room that you're supposed to have influence in this culture for God. But the same way that you can have influence or this culture for God, the devil says that you can come and work on my team too. And if I don't take my responsibility, I don't care what anybody else does, but in this house, if I don't actually give you this word, I will not have your blood on my hands. Because we're contending in the spirit right now to make sure that we stand as the standard. It continues to say, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. I'm I'm slowing down on purpose because some of us, all of us in this room, we need to be equipped with patience. Because you're going to leave here and you're going to hear this word ringing in your mind and some of us are conflicted because like, how can I love these people that are actually still operating so overtly in sin, but I love them? Be the straight stick. Show the love of God. Don't preach to them just with your words. Preach to them with your life. Understand that when you compromise, what you're doing is you're compromising the witness of Christ. And so I want us to be encouraged that this is possible, that we can preach the word. And y'all know how people say, they say, well, I don't come to church because I don't want to be preached to. Let me, let me tell you something. You're getting preached to every day. You're getting preached through, uh, through TikTok, through Instagram, through Facebook, through, through anything online that's preaching to you, trying to tell you what's right, trying to tell you what's wrong, trying to tell you how you get followers, how you stay popular, how you stay away. We are being preached to, but I'm declaring that we are preaching the word of God in this house. And so again, my burden here, Kendra and I's burden as we pray for you, is that we don't shepherd a people who come in and get a lukewarm gospel who come in and just constantly drink milk when you should be getting meat, who don't suffer in silence because we don't share the word of truth with you that's supposed to give you victory. And so let me tell you very quickly just a few things of how we're going to anchor ourselves in the truth. As a matter of fact, we're going to give the ABCs of anchoring in truth. Let me start with the first one. How we anchor in truth, number one, we have to A, admit that I am blind. Admit that I'm blind. What am I talking about? In John 9, Jesus performs what I call a nasty miracle. He saw a man who was blind from birth, and he actually took some dirt from the ground. He, I would say, hawked the loogie. I'm not going to make the sound. Some of y'all can't handle it. And he made some mud, and he put it on the man's eyes. And this man now was able to see. And what we believe is that it's actually God recreating him from the source of which he came from, giving him sight now to see. And so what happens is that this man was healed and you had some religious people who were looking and saying, ah, all right, I don't know if we really want that because we don't really want people to follow Jesus. And they came to this man and they tried to get him to denounce the healing that Jesus actually did. And when this man wouldn't denounce that healing, what happened is that they actually kicked him out of the synagogue. How many of you know you can be in a place where people are supposed to be spiritual But when God actually moves in your life and they don't understand it, you can be ostracized. But God, in his mercy, with his son Jesus, said, no, 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 I'm going to come to you. 
And he came to this man, and he started to teach us a lesson right here. Here it is in John 9, verse 35. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Hmm. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby were ear hustling. They heard him and asked, are you saying that we're blind? And Jesus says, Jesus was a G, y'all. Jesus says, if you were blind, then you wouldn't be guilty. Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim to see. See, in this moment, Jesus wasn't just healing someone of their physical eyesight. He was actually given a sign of a greater truth saying this, the ones who said that they could see were actually blind. And the one who admitted he was blind actually was able to receive his sight. And so what we're saying right here is that the best thing that you can do, the best thing that I can do is just admit, God, I don't have it. God, I'm not seeing correctly. God, I know that I live in a world that wants me to do these things, and if I don't see you in it, I'm going to do those things. Can we be honest in this place that the good that we want to do sometimes we don't do? And when we don't say we need God, we won't actually get his help. The challenge that we have is that a lot of people are like people that are lost on a road and won't ever ask for directions. See some men here like, yep, that's me. Or watch this. You know, you, you, you might not really be able to cook that well. And you know you can't cook, but what's happening is that your significant other, they're struggling through them burnt meals. <laughs> Male or female. Because you won't ask for help. You won't ask someone to, to teach you how to cook. You won't ask someone to send you a meal train. Listen, listen. You can't grow in something if you don't admit that you need the help. And so what we're saying is that you need to admit that I can't see. We need to admit that we're lost. We need to admit that, God, I need you to give me vision. Isaiah 5 says this, because when I read this, I want you to see this. If we're not those who actually admit that we need help, darkness will kill us. Darkness will take us out. Isaiah 5 verse 20 says this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. The reality is, y'all, I don't know if you knew this, but I'm going to just make this announcement. We live in a dark world. But what happens when the people that are light speak to evil, when people that are evil hear you saying they're evil, now you're evil. But we have to stand as the standard. We have to stand as a people who will be light and darkness. And so I want you to do this because I feel even from a prophetic nature that we need to do this. Can you put both hands on your eyes? Put your hands on your eyes. Father, I thank you right now. That the people right here in this room and those online that are going with this action, Father, we are saying right now that we need to see. Father, we're admitting right now that we are blind. We're admitting right now that left to myself, I will drift away from your truth. Father, I'm praying right now that we will be people who admit that we need you, that we will ask for your help. And we're saying right now, Father, help us and reveal your truth to me so we can see. 
God, I thank you right now that as we go throughout this week, we will be a people who are not hard-hearted, and we won't just be hearers of the word, but we will be doers of the word also, and we will see and have a vision of who you are and how you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Put your hands together if you believe that and if you receive it. Number two, B, B, we need to believe that the Bible is truth. Can I say it like this? If we're, only, if we're ever going to anchor in God's truth as the word of God, we first have to settle that God's word is true. Let me say it again. If we're ever going to anchor on the word of truth, we have to first settle that the word of God is true. What do I mean? If you're always looking at the anchor of the word as there's another option, you're going to take the other option. If you're always saying that, you know, I don't know about that because, you know, times have changed, that means you're not going to get the full benefit of what God said about his truth, and then you're going to be wondering why you need counseling for what happened because you didn't listen to the truth. And so as we grab this, we are making sure that we are anchoring in the truth. John chapter 17, verse 13, let's read this. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world. This is Jesus so that they may have a full measure of joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Can I pause for a minute? Can we really just come to terms with that? Can I even be honest? It would be a lot easier for me to come in here and give y'all, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya, not risk offending anybody, not risk anybody giving me the stank face. I see y'all. Not risk someone saying, well, I don't know about that. But let me tell you, I'm more concerned with getting a well done from God than a well done from some people who won't necessarily receive the truth of God. I'm more concerned with getting an applause from my heavenly father than a room, a church full of people who I'm leading to hell with my silence. And so as we're looking at this, I, I want to continue. Jesus is preparing us. He says, for they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into this world, I have now sent them into the world. Let me let you know, you are on assignment. When you go to work this week, you are on assignment to actually bring the truth in the place that God planted you. I'm just hearing this right now. Some of us, our time is ticking on this job that was our dream job because we're not necessarily fulfilling the assignment that God gave us in this dream job. Some of us are so busy and so worried trying not to ruffle the feathers. Now, I'm not talking about going to the boardroom speaking in tongues. Let me be clear. I'm not saying stand up on the table and say, thus saith the Lord. What I'm saying is that you need to be able to emit thus saith the Lord by the way you show up as a standard. And so as we look at this, we need to understand that some of Jesus' last words was him trying to anchor us in the truth. And he's saying you can trust God's word because it is truth. You will be hated for it, but I'm telling you to trust me. I'm telling you to lean in. I'm telling you, don't give up because my word is truth and it is proven from generation to generation. Hear this, the apostle Paul echoes Jesus in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says this, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful. Somebody say remain faithful. You must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know that they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Here's this part. Here's the part that I need you to hear. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So as I looked at this, I did some research. I looked this word all up in the Greek. I looked up this word all in the Hebrew. I even looked up this word in Eastside Atlanta Talk. I looked up the word all in West Side Atlanta Talk, South Side, North Side, I ain't leaving you out. And what I gather from all this research is that all means all. <laughs> Meaning all scripture is given to us and is inspired by God. What that means is that all, not 75% of it, not all the parts except for the ones you disagree with, not just the ones that don't line up with your political party. Come on, all means the parts that speak to you correct in the habit of lying when you know you shouldn't be lying because you don't want to take responsibility for what you did. All means that we're talking about correcting our living and the way we operate when we're living loose and hoish lives, trying to actually go after somebody else's husband or their wife when we know we shouldn't be in their DMs. All means when we have to talk about what the scriptures say about homosexuality. All means when we have to talk about correcting your behavior when you're actually skimming from the company you work for because you say you're not getting paid enough and you're owed more. All means all. All of Scripture is God's truth. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 says, For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. What this is simply saying is that people are going to change, people are going to die, but we can anchor with the word of God. Why? Because it's strong. Because it's consistent. Because it's trustworthy. It's a trustworthy place to drop your anchor. And I hope you hear me from the top of my heart that this is a grace-filled truth that God wants us to make sure that we are interrupting people's destination of hell. But we have to tell the truth. And so it points out where we fall short. It points out, listen to this, let me be very honest with you, even the stuff that I feel like I want to do, but is adverse to the word of God, here is how I let the word read me. When I disagree with what the word says, God wins. When, when I don't feel like doing something and I don't quite understand what's happening in my life, God wins. When someone offends me and, the God, and God says, forgive them seven times, seven times, seven, God wins. But what we have to do is we have to understand that the Bible is life-giving, it's trustworthy, and it's something that we need to anchor in. Amen? Come on, can you say that with me? Say, the Bible is truth. The Bible can be trusted, and the Bible is life-giving, which makes take me to the last one, three. 
C, we need to construct our lives on God's truth. See, we have to be very careful, like I said earlier, to not go into man's truth. Because if we're not careful, we hear a Dr. Phil, we hear Tony Robbins, we hear Oprah. You have a whole generation that are going to Ayanla to fix their life instead of going to the King of Kings that can fix their life. You have a whole lot of people that are saying, I need this new wisdom. And God said, I already gave you the wisdom. And so I want you to write this down because this is something for you just to rehearse. I can even make a choice to build off of man's words or I can build off God's words. I have to make a decision. I'm going to build off man's words or I'm going to build off God's words. Here's a scripture that's one of my favorites, not because it's just a cute scripture, but because it's transformative. Romans 12, 2 says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what it means. My mind has to be renewed because there's some things that I'm going to disagree with God about. But if I'm submitted to the Holy Spirit, I have to let his word protect me. I have to go with his word over what I feel. Because as we wrap this up, I just need you to know that the, the word of God teaches you how to be married. It teaches you how to raise your kids. It can teach you how to manage your money. It can teach you how to deal with the the struggles and even the feelings and the passions that you're having in your sexuality. It can teach you how to worship. It can teach you how to make better decisions, but we have to anchor in the word of God. Because here's the thing, as we get ready to close this message, what I love about God is that I can bring my feelings to God and get clarity. What I love about God is that I can bring my opinions to God and get his truth. What I love about God is that even when I go through storms, I can go to God and I can get his wisdom. And so what I need us to know as we get ready to leave today is that two-thirds of Christians would know that most of our problems would actually disappear if we just read the word. We're asking God to speak, but we haven't read what he's already spoken. And so I want to close with this scripture, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. It says this, and we've kind of already been experiencing this in the spirit here today. Verse 24 says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Here's the thing. As for me and my house, as God has given us stewardship even over this congregation, the people that I come in contact with, We're going to construct our lives on the word of God. We're going to be a people who admit that we're blind, that believe that God's word is true, and build on the foundation and construct our lives based on what he says. We're going to be anchored in his truth. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. In John 6, many people were leaving Jesus. So he asks his disciples that are around him, he asks them, he says, so are you going to leave too? And what Peter said, as he's always so outspoken in the Bible, Peter says, Lord, to whom will we go? 
You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so right there, what he's saying is that we've already given up everything. We've already said that we believe you. Where else are we going to go? And so in this moment, I want to pray for you because I believe that part of the assignment today is for us to repent. For us to repent of compromising or wandering into waters that were not founded and anchored in God's word. And so if you're in here today and you either need to say, God, I need my life changed radically. God, I need to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the first time. Or you're saying, today I'm repenting and I'm saying, I need to actually anchor myself in the word of God and I'm rededicating. Just throw your hand up in the air while people's heads are bowed. I see those hands all over the room, all over the room, all over the room. Those online, we're praying for you. We see you. Father, I thank you right now for every person in here that is saying, I need you that I've not built my house on a firm foundation. I've not anchored in the truth. And Father, I thank you right now that every person with their hand raised, even as I'm praying this for you, just pray with me saying, Lord, I repent. I know that I've been doing things not the way you want me to do it. And today I'm saying, Jesus, come into my life. Change me. Allow me to be remade in you and in your presence. Today I'm declaring that Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my Savior. And I will anchor myself in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're closing this service today how we started it. In this song, Firm Foundation, there's this line that always grabs me that says, the rains came, the winds blew, but my heart and my house is built on you. And so I'm gonna ask right now that we stand up all over the room. And what I'm asking right now is that there are some people in the room. I said, God clearly spoke to me when I was standing down there that the devil has his eye on some people. But God has his eye on you even the more. And if you're in here right now as a sign of anchoring into the word of God, I need you as we worship in this song, as a sign to heaven, as a sign to your generations to come, to come down to this altar to make a proclamation publicly and say, I am not going to go and be tossed to and fro. I'm going to say, God, I am being changed by you. I want to live for you. I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm saying, God, I'm going to anchor in your word and let it change me. And so we're going to worship. We're going to sing this song. But I want us all to recommit to being anchored into the word. Let's worship the Lord. built on you I'm safe with you I'm gonna make it through something's changing something's changing the Lord is smiling upon you right now he's smiling upon you I'm safe with you I'm gonna I won't be tossed to and fro anymore. The Lord has his eye on you. Your children's children are depending on you right now.
Come on, somebody needs to step into their new destiny. Step into your new purpose. Father, we believe. Even in our unbelief, we're saying we believe. God, I pray a special grace, especially over every person who took this step of faith, to say that I will build on a firm foundation. Father, I'm praying that as we leave this place, we're not leaving in our own strength. Because what we're not saying is that we won't be tempted to go with what the world says. But what we're saying is that we're making a decision. We are drawing a line in the sand, saying we are going to be anchored in the truth of your word. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray your supernatural empowerment over each and every person in this room. Father, I thank you that there will be no casualties of the flesh. I pray right now, God, that we are more than conquerors than the things that try to come at us. Father, I'm praying right now that there's protection on every side. God, I'm thanking you right now that you are teaching us through our trials that our trials are a trainer for us to grow. And so, Father, let your blood cover each and every one of us. Let us know that we are going with you as we anchor in your word. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear because thou art with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Can somebody celebrate a good God in this place? Come on, I didn't come to church to play around today. I came to church to walk into my destiny. I came to church today to step into a new dimension of my purpose. I came today to draw this line in the sand and say, no devil, you can't have me. And yes, God, I am yours. I came today to say, Lord, you are my strength and my redeemer, and you will I trust. I came to say, if God be for me, nobody else can be against me. Somebody give God a big praise in this place.